Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Lion is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. We now have a Patreon for fans of our show to help keep this going. Subscribers will become a part of the show in various ways, from providing questions to our guests, to getting a shout out on the show, to actually being on the show to chat with us. We'll even send you a mug. So check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash talking lion. We recorded this episode with our new friend, Stephen. We first connected with Stephen through his publicist, Nate, but realized while recording this interview that we had actually met once before at a show. Some context for this interview. Stephen had taken a break from making music to recover from Lyme disease, but is now starting to release songs again, including his most recent single, Tracer. An incredibly talented and driven producer and writer, Stephen has proven that he is an unstoppable force. So without further ado, I'm Stephen and this is Talking Lion. Well, hey. Howdy. Welcome to the podcast, man. It's good to be here. We, we were just sort of realizing that uh, even though this was set up by our, our mutual friend and your publicist, that we'd actually met once before at the Moroccan Lounge when Sasha Sloan played. She's crazy talented. That was a great show. Insane, oh, dude. Insane. I was trying to figure out the whole time if she was using autotune or not because she did yeah. not miss a single note. Yeah, no, it was like perfect. It was like insanely perfect. It sounded well, just, like a so studio recording. Too. Yeah, so yeah. delicate. I mean, yeah, blown it's, away. It's so good. But you know, you know, Dwilly, who we went to school with. Of course, yeah. Um, super I small met Dwilly world. about a year ago, the rock climbing He's gym. super crazy talented. Oh yeah, you rock, you rock climb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Do you have you like traveled for rock climbing? I mean, very little. Or? I'm I'm, I'm relatively uh, amateur. I would say like very beginner. I've gone out outside like three times now. Your full name is Steven Schwartz. Are you a Broadway fan by any chance? Uh, no, but I'm I'm aware of the the, the situation. <laughs> I, was, I, I was thinking. I'm like I, I grew up with like Pippin and Wicked, and so that was that was like definitely there. I actually didn't know what Wicked was until I put out music and would like search things under my name to see if they were aggregating. And then I'd be like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Why is he taking all the, all, all the credit? He's taking the torch, man. Where, where are you from originally? Um, I'm from uh, Northern Virginia. Oh, wow. A town called Wonderful. Vienna, just just south of DC. How long were you in like Virginia for? Until I went to college. I was there. I pretty much lived in the same house my whole life. This, the house my parents still live in. I still go back and see them in it. Um, and I was there till I was 18. And then I went to University of Miami. Did you have siblings? I have a younger brother, yeah. Nice, nice. When you were younger, were you very musical? Did you, where did the sort of bug kind of come from? You know, I wonder that myself. What is the root of our desires and where do our desires stem from? Um, especially when we're that young. I mean, dude, my earliest memory is sitting on my grandfather's lap, pressing buttons on a piano, having no <laughs> idea what a piano was or what it is. I think I was like two years old. And I think I started, t- uh, I did, yeah, I started taking piano lessons when I was five or six. I just randomly told my mom one day that's what I wanted to do. She was like, all right. I think you bring up a, like an interesting thing because we both started really young. Yeah, I started around that age. Too. I think I always ask myself the question is just like, I, know, I don't remember making that decision that wound up being one of the most important decisions of my entire life. It wasn't even most important decision in my entire life, it was my entire life right. decision. Like, yeah, I don't kinda, even think it is. At a certain point, it's not even a decision. It's kind of just you can, like, like your, fall into your ethos as a person, the yeah. thing you gravitate towards. Yeah. I mean, the older and older I get, the more I feel like I'm just watching a movie that's already been written. Yeah. And the writer's pretty <laughs> hacky sometimes, too. You ever, yeah. you ever like have something happen in your life and you're just like, this could have been written better? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> for like, sure. Like, like, this is a big cliche. No, is it not? cliche, is it not? <laughs> A bit lazy on the writing. <laughs> we need to rewrite here. Global pandemic, like lazy writing. Come on, can we get something better? It, I, it feels like the, it feels like the writer strike. Remember the writer strike when all all the shows, like a couple of shows, tried to like stagger along. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whoever wrote whoever wrote our collective life wants a bottle episode. They just want all of us inside so they they can <laughs> yeah focus on our character development. Truly, <laughs> I'd say you guys are pretty good characters. I like I like it so far. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, like, likewise, do you have do you have a quarantine? Quarantine. I like that. Yeah. Do you have, a quarantine? Uh, I mean, sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got my cousin Harrison, who I live with. He's like my life team. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is he uh, is he musical as well? 
Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's out here producing and writing and being an artist as well. That's awesome. What's his artist project called? Um, he doesn't have a name for it yet. He's developing it currently. He's got pretty much an album at this point. He's oh. just writing a bunch of music. He's been out here like just fr- fresh out of college, like hustling and trying to make the dream happen. You know. Well, hey, if he ever wants stuff. to chat with us, he's always welcome. I'm sure he'll be on, dude. He's, <laughs> he's an incredible person, and he has a lot. He has a lot to talk about. Did you guys collaborate much when you guys were younger? No, we didn't. Um, he actually didn't really discover music till later in his life. Like I'd say the past five or six years for him. So his father is like an insane musician. His dad's like a crazy, crazy. My uncle is a crazy guitar awesome. player. So he's got it in his blood and he's he's got impeccable taste. So it's just a matter of practice and getting technique and he's growing. It's insane. I, I grew up in a, in a pretty musical family. My grandmother played classical. My father was in like, was a keyboardist for a lot of rock bands. That I think just adds to that whole idea of like how we made our, our decisions because it was just around us, you know? Right. It's, uh, yeah. it's just there and it's just like lo- kind of low hanging fruit that you wind up going for. Yeah, um, music was just the thing that I was good at. It was the thing sense. that I was best mm-hmm. at. So I was just like, people kept encouraging me to do it because they're like, oh, you're like a little bit above average. And I was like, cool, I'm just going to ride this wave for as far as it'll take me. Did you always sing yeah. or were you more of like, just did you focus more on instruments? Because I think we both started focusing more on instruments and then yeah, the singing kind of came I was back. not I'm really a singer. A, yeah, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, I did sing when I was younger. I remember in elementary school, I was like in the vocal ensemble. And and when I went to church, I was sing- I sang in the church choir. But I didn't really like it. And I didn't really think I was very good at it. And I stopped singing for like a very long time. And I, I became like, in- I, I just became really insecure even. Like I wouldn't even sing in the shower, even though I kind of secretly wanted to. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not a singer. Uh, that's not me. And then, dude, I remember what really fucked me up was like when American Idol and those shows started coming out. Oh, and yeah. people would oh, yeah. go in and it, and it turned like this beautiful expression into something that's so criticized and judged. And uh, I would watch it with my mom, who's a singer, and she would always be calling out singers for singing flat and out of tune, <laughs> even like the really good ones. And I was just like, Jesus, like, I'm never going to be a singer. There's no way. There's no way I can do this. It's fine. I never really like presenced it. But yeah, like that was always just sort of a heartbreaking thing, realizing that like, I felt like I always sang expressively, but I never sang like, quote unquote, well in that space. And I think... It was actually really inspiring to hear vocalists like uh, Isaac Slade from The Fray or even Bon Iver who, you know, has a beautiful voice, but it's a different kind of voice Yeah. than like, you know, because we were told that male singers sound like this and female singers sound like this and sure. finding singers that are able to just sort of own their expression has always been really interesting. That, that's what I like really about your voice. It's like you're a great singer, hands down, but you're also distinctively you, which is why... Mm-hmm you know, you're able to, one, just sort of own your songs, but also why features happen and why whatever. Like, mm-hmm. Totally, man. You went, so you went to University of Miami? Correct. Um, what did you study while you were there? Um, I switched majors halfway through. When I first got there, I was a music engineer, which isn't what it sounds like. It was, my program was designed to train me for like a job at Native Instruments or something oh, like that. Okay. Like, oh, like, real like design, like soldering audio technology and programming audio plugins with like a little bit of music on the side. I had to be in the music school too. So I was in the, the Frost School of Music as a jazz drummer. And yeah, dude, it was it was so intense. I mean, it was so much math. It was, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was like it, it was like 21 credits. I was also my freshman year, I was like running track. I was running a division one sport and that took up like all my time too. So it was like a really busy, hectic schedule. But then my junior year, I switched to media writing and composing, which was like writing music for film and, and TV. Mm. Oh, nice. And then, and then I dropped that after my junior year. But like my junior year was like a freaking walk in the park. Like it, it was just like… <laughs> well, compared to everything else, like yeah. you hit your threshold and then pulled back. Yeah, I went from doing math and like having all this homework to like just writing music all day. Yeah, that was that was a nice year for sure. And it also uh-huh. gave me a lot of time that year to like work on the, on the stuff that really brought me out to LA and got me to like take that step. Was it around the time that you did Bullet Train? Yeah, Bullet Train was done my sophomore year and I put it out the summer right before my junior year. How did Bullet Train kind of come to be and what was it sort of like to see that song grow? Oh man, it was, uh, it was an amazing blessing for sure. I was not ready to write that song. My skills and where I was at. Like if you listen to all the songs before Bullet Train and then listen to some of the songs I made after Bullet Train, it was like this was my progress growing and then Bullet Train was like this spike in like making a quality <laughs> amazing song. Um, it just happens sometimes. Yeah, man. It was it was really cool. I mean, it was definitely the the most work I had ever put into a song up until that point. So that's probably part of it. But the way it happened, man, was like I was doing live sound for a performance at Miami. I was like 
doing front of house. And uh -huh. um, I heard Joni perform. It was like a songwriter showcase at the school. And Joni performed this song called Monsters. And I didn't even know her or anything. And I was like, yo, this girl, this girl's voice is like insane. Yeah, her voice is nuts. I was just like instantly emotionally captivated. And I went home, I think, right after that concert and started writing the instrumental to Bullet Train, imagining it for her. And I, I think I wrapped it in like a day or two or three or something and then sent it over to her. And like an hour later, she sent me back like the main top line. Moving oh my at God. the speed of sound, you know, like <laughs> fucking insane. And she was like, let me know if you want me to write it again. Like I did this really fast. It's about riding bullet trains in Japan. <laughs> and I remember it was also the first time I had ever smoked hashish. I was like at my friend's house who was like just like California <laughs> surfer bro. He's like, yo, yeah. you got to smoke this hash, man. It's gonna, I'm just going to put it on the bowl. It's going to be crazy, dude. And um, Fine enlightenment. And it's like, I swear, I like hit the bowl. I felt like this euphoric stoned feeling. And then I look at my phone and I got an email from Joni and I, and I put it on and I just like, I saw the vision of what it could be. You know, the instrumental I had made ended up, none of it ended up actually being the final thing. And her vocal was like recorded on like a, a microphone on a laptop, you know, but I could like hear it. I was like, yeah. oh my God, I can hear what this could be now. And, yeah. uh, and then we tracked the vocal in a, in a proper studio. And I went home for a Christmas break and like produced the whole song. I like stripped everything, started with just her voice and produced the song around her vocal in my parents' basement. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, and I love what you say about like you could just hear it. Like I feel like the mark of a good producer, whether or not you're somebody who actually like is in the DAW or somebody who's just involved in the process, like a capital B producer hears what the song could be from like the jump, you know, like hears what mm -hmm. the song can kind of like evolve into yeah. even if like the original track is not what winds up staying or anything yeah. it's like building the track around an idea yeah. as opposed to just hearing it for what it is exactly well I mean that's what writes great songs is like vision and passion dude like because I, I do think that like having great ideas uh, my, my old manager had a quote on all of, all of his emails he said ideas are a dime a dozen execution is everything or something mm -hmm. like that oh, and like, like that. so much so much of what we do in our industries in any creative endeavor is like we have ideas, but ideas literally mean nothing. It's how it's it's if you can execute the ideas, and if you can see them through, which is really difficult from a, for a creative because the more that we listen to something, the more that we live with it, the more disconnected we become from the emotional impetus that started it. Yeah. Well, and likewise, it's not as fun executing something as it is actually having the idea. Yeah. Like the idea is the burst of inspiration. It's the excitement. It's like yeah. it's like writing it down and planning it. Like actually executing is what takes the most kind of like actual work. Yeah, that's, a lot that's, of work, the, yeah. Math. that's, that's the math. That's, that's the math. The, that's the Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of like, I'm going to nudge this vocal 10 milliseconds. Yeah. I'm going to like tweak this synth until it feels intuitively right for days on end. And I, yeah. I feel like the, the more, not to mention that ideas don't stop. So like as you're trying to execute it, you're suddenly, con you can be tempted and seduced by like oh, you know, a yeah. shinier new idea. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So easy. But If anything, that's the benefit of like this kind of like quarantine time is that it gives us all a chance to like either have plenty of new ideas or go back and revisit the stuff that like maybe lost its shimmer, but like didn't mean it didn't shine to begin with, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's really difficult for me, actually. That's something I've learned the hard way over years and years of experience is like with music, I have to do shit quickly because there's there's like a 72 hour guillotine where <laughs> if, I haven't, if I haven't gotten enough of the the body out, like within that period of time, like if you can't hear the song at that point, if it's still existing in an idea, then it's really hard to see it through and it's really hard to come back to things and like remember the intention of it. Yeah. Well, same goes for writing for artists. Like they could be about the song in the room and then if you don't get a demo over or if you don't like build on like the hype that you've created in the session, they've already moved on to whatever session they're on to, yeah. Yeah. you know, then they're not going to cut the song. Like so, so much of like trying to have somebody else cut a song or even cut your own song is being able to keep that hype alive after the actual creation has stopped. It's true, man. I think I must have thousands of ideas, little beats, little loops, so songs anywhere from an idea to like an almost finished, completed song. And nothing has ever done anything for me in this career except for finished music, finished things. <laughs> 
Yeah. I've never had a beat that someone was like, yo, I want to sing on that. Or I've never had like a, a cool concept or anything. It always has to be like completely finished. We I don't think that's the case lot. for everyone, but that's how it's been for me. Mm. Well, we, we talk about this a lot. And, uh, and one of the things like that we kind of always kind of catch all it with is these are good problems. Like I'd rather have this than like have writer's block. Like I don't necessarily know the concept of it because I feel like I'm always constantly coming up with stuff. And I'd rather, I'd rather have, I'd love a block. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. knock on wood actually, but like, I I would love to have, you know, just a second where my brain could shut off and I can focus on Mm -hmm. what's right in front of me. Cause you're right. Execution is, there is that 72 hours until you move on. And oftentimes like Noah will play a song and I'll be like, oh, that's like kind of pretty and cool. And he'd be like, yeah, we wrote that like a month ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when when you're in the session grind of writing stuff every day, especially with other people, it's really easy to forget to just not be able to judge how good something is. Like when, when you're in the mode of like, I just have to get this done and I'm going to move on to the next thing. Like you, you really have to take a step back and be like, oh, that thing was that thing actually stands out. Like that song actually has some heart to it. I mean, that's something I d- I've discovered too is I, I tend to, when I haven't heard something in a while and then I go back and listen to like an idea that I threw out, I'm always like, that shit was really sick. I should have just <laughs> yeah. finished it. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to realize that because you realize that you're not really capable of writing garbage. Like even your worst stuff is palatable. Yeah. Which, and again, like still still good problems, but I wish that like things were more discernible garbage. Like I wish that we like, <laughs> you know, I think we've all like worked to get our stuff to a certain degree of quality, but it's just like, it's, I call it like 50 shades of great. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'd rather just like know like what is the best of it. <laughs> and I feel like it's hard to sort of discern what I like about certain things, which is obviously like a, a taste thing. But so much I feel of like the actual creation process, quote unquote, is actually curation and like yeah. straight up resurrection uh-huh. or cannibalizing ideas and merging them with other stuff that you got. Oh yeah. Like a, like a, like a human centipede. <laughs> yeah, <situation>. sure. <laughs> and if not more grotesque, <laughs> oh man, I've never seen it. Well, I've never seen that movie, but I, I I know the trailer. I think uh, I've seen enough from the trailer. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we all know enough. We about all know Human enough Centipede. about yeah. You're uh primarily like you write and produce a lot of stuff by yourself, so you mm-hmm. have there's pros and cons to like like we work in a duo, so we have like the other person to bounce uh-huh, stuff off of. Uh-huh. But I imagine it's like difficult sometimes to like not get tunnel vision when you're working on stuff entirely, where you're. Yeah, you're at every right. stage of the process, from the engineering to the writing to the performance. Do you have yeah. people that you like send early stuff to that like you bounce off? Because oftentimes, like I leave Noah alone when he comes up with the early stuff, so that I can come at it with fresh ears. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Harrison, my cousin, I was telling you about, is a huge support system for me. He's someone I can bounce things off of, and even just having somebody in the room who you trust makes you hear shit differently too. Like you kind of yeah, hear it for through sure. them. You don't even need their opinion. I've actually gotten to the point right now. I'm in a place right now where I've relied less on other people's opinions over an idea. I generally, right now, I generally know what I what I want and what I like, and when I have it, I know that it's good. Um, that hasn't always still, been the case. We're still developing that. That yeah. hasn't always been the case. I don't think it's always going to be the case. I think we probably have seasons. Yeah. But I mean, when I was like creating my first album, it was a shot in the dark every time, dude. And I lived in a house with, I lived in a, an artist commune practically. You know, there were like a dozen oh, people there at any time. Well, that's, I, I feel like, you know, uh, what you were saying too about how you listen to it differently when you show people. I find that like when I send it to somebody or when like I play it for somebody in the room, when I make a note like, oh, hey, ignore this or like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, like this is, we're going to change this. That's how I know. Okay. Like, like that's how I feel about the song. Yeah. Like my insecurities about showing it to somebody is how I know what to address yeah, right. out of the room. Exactly. But then, I mean, to, to play devil's advocate, we used to have a rule in some songwriting classes where you're not allowed to disclaim stuff. And I have found that stuff that I felt insecure about, sometimes when you play it for a group of people, people are like, that was my favorite part. It's and then true. And then you get this weird disconnect of like, oh, this is something that I was really self-conscious about. But without the baggage of it, someone else might connect to it totally differently. Well, this is the courage that it takes to be an artist is I think that our best ideas live right outside our comfort zone. And yeah. it actually reminds me, I do have a song on this album coming up that... Actually, it's the next single coming out where I'm like rapping on it. I'm like straight up yeah. rapping. And it's like it's like really playful and silly and I'm not taking myself too seriously. And there is like a really deep message in it. It's about video game addiction. I That song, I was like, yo, I don't know if this is like super cringe or if this is like absolute genius. It was like, I don't know which one it is. It's one or the other. Yeah. And, um, 
And I definitely relied on playing that for people to be like, but like very hesitantly. I was like, like I had to front porch the shit out of the song, meaning like <laughs> before I played it, I had to be like, all right, look, here's the situation. I don't actually <laughs> think this is good, all right? Until you think it's good. <laughs> Wait, what's a, what's a front porch? I've never heard that. I call I it front it. porching. Like, I mean, everybody does it. It's insane. Like, uh, if someone sends you a song or someone plays you a song they're working on, before they play it, they're like, okay, here's everything you need to know about what's not right yet. Yeah. Like here's what's uh, missing. Uh, these vo- these are scratch vocals and like, you know, like I haven't really like figured out the transition between like the bridge and the <laughs> chorus. <laughs> what video game are you addicted to right now? I'm actually not addicted to anything. I've been pretty off the games. Um I've been playing a little bit of uh the new Modern Warfare, the Call of Duty. Oh, nice. oh yeah. I'm playing so casually. I'm playing on like an Xbox with my cousin like at like midnight when we're both stoned, like not even trying that hard. It's just like it's not anything too competitive. I get really addicted to games when I get really competitive and I like want to be the best, you know. Yeah. I I would only like I would exclusively play like single player story games so that it would have an end because I have that like tendencies. Like I did World of Warcraft as a kid. Like I was I was up until five o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning mm-hmm. doing raids. Like it just <laughs> you know it's just uh, like that was what it was. And League of Legends same. So I I stuck with the single players. But since the quarantine started, we've been on a big Overwatch kick. Oh, dude, that's um, my game. I mean, the song's coming out. It's called Tracer. Wait, are you a chaser man? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a chaser mercy. Let's go. But go, going back, uh, you were talking about your first record. One of our friends, a guy named Sam, he goes by Out There. I think he actually wrote a paper on Crossfire. Whoa. And uh, I, I asked him if he had any questions for you. And he wanted to know like, what inspired you to, to, well, one, how did the original Crossfire come to be? And then mm. what inspired you to make the three versions uh, and and pick the collaborators the way you have. I, I personally love the fact that like part two has like the swing to it, while it's like three has that like apocalyptic, uh-huh. almost like cinematic like guitar to it. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. What what sort of inspired the beginning of that song, and then sure. um, the sort of three part the song started trilogy. with the beat, as did every song on that album. Uh, Crossfire was actually the only song on that album that was a co production. My buddy Graham, who actually did the re- the part two as well. Um, was that over- kilogram? Yeah, kilogram. Yeah, he cool. was over, and he had his like his. He brought his like analog synth with him, and I was like, "Yo, why don't we just like make some music, dude? Like, let's just hop in the studio for a sec." He's like, "All right, let's do it." And like two hours later, three hours later, we had the the main part of the beat for Crossfire. Like, we just wrote, oh. wrote. It just came. It just poured out, and we were just having so much fun. Then he left, and then I had this beat, and I mean, it instantly just from the sound and the the sort of like haunting motifs of it. And the major one, it just felt like war. The whole the beat just felt like war to me. And I was at the time I was like every day going on Reddit or going on like CNN and just understanding world news and like learning about how things work in the world and being totally disenchanted by the idea that the world is a fair and good place. And I was watching a bunch of Vice documentaries on ISIS. And I think this was like at the pinnacle of like ISIS problems. Around like 2015, yeah, 2016, yeah. yeah. I was also going through an insane existential crisis just in in life in general. And all of this research and all this learning was just, I mean, the, the concept of Crossfire is like, why am I so lucky? How can I enjoy my own happiness and my own luxuries when I know that so many people aren't and can't? I mean, that was that was what started. Those those were the feelings that inspired the the lyrics and the melodies and and all that. And then the outro came later. I wrote that that after the fact. Um, mm. And then the 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 three parts. I mean, I think it started from the fact that the song was doing really well. It was definitely like at the time my biggest, or still is my biggest song. And I think one of my managers even had the idea of doing like a remix or something. And I was always, I'm I'm a huge fan of rap and Talib, Talib Kweli is like legend. Yeah. Yeah. And we we found out that we could get him on a song and it wouldn't even be that expensive. And he liked the idea. So that happened. And then That's awesome. the insane song came out of that. What was the the sort of thought process behind like, okay, because I know plenty of people when they have like the remix, you know, they'll just take the same beat. Like you you swung it. Like you did make mm-hmm. like distinct changes to each version. Yeah, well, dude, the, the, that whole process was the most dramatic thing conceivable. I, I don't think, and m- most people don't know this. So he, he recorded a verse on just the regular instrumental. Mm-hmm. And he like started rapping the second the song starts. Like he just started rapping. 
And it was very like avant-garde almost, like free. It wasn't really in time. It was super loose. And it honestly just like wasn't it. It was just like not what we wanted. And we asked him if he could like rethink it or give us a more like cadenced in time kind of flow. And he's like, no, nah, like this is like, it was like a, it was like a work for hire. He's like, no, nah, this is what you get. Like I'll take my money and this is this, you have this now. And so we're like, Jesus, all right, what are we going to do? So we sent it over to Graham. Cause like I was so, I just like didn't want to hear the song anymore. I had been working on the album for so long and Graham, Graham took it. And I was in Joshua Tree actually working on my second album at this point. And Graham took it and like, he chopped up his vocals and like put them in time. Hmm. And the way to put it in time was to give it this swing and to make it feel this other way. Huh. And then we, we made this whole, this whole song over it and we put it out. And Talib Kweli flipped out on us, dude. Like totally burned that bridge. Like oh, he damn. called oh. he called all of us racists and oh, shit. and like publicly was just like, yo, I don't support this song. Like because you shifted the yeah, you know. It? And like in hindsight, like we should have sent him the song, you know. But the truth is, is he he was like not open to to collaboration or, or feedback. And I mean, we did what we're allowed to do, but the whole thing was like was really messy and. It, <laughs> It was so dramatic. And everybody on my team was like a huge Talib Kweli fan. Wade, one of my managers, has literally a tweet from him hanging on his wall, like reaming <laughs> out Wade because he thinks it's so funny that his idol just like now hates him. <laughs> Damn, yeah. Um, it's hard to know what, what the right or wrong is in a situation like that because I think both both parties made mistakes. What about the uh, the third part? The third part was done. I was, Saba sounds uh, insane on it. So good. Like, oh my so God. Good. I mean, insane. Yeah, uh, actually, a lot of that was set up um, by my um, someone who worked at my label, Daniel Whitkoff, who's like one of my closest friends. I was back home. I was sick. I was like recovering from Lyme disease, and Daniel had a vision for a part three to this like sort of narrative and this story. He actually put together a lot of it without me. Um, he got together the artists. He found the producers. I think it was all Chicago. I think it was all done in Chicago, and. They put the track together. They sent it to me. I had some ideas. I mixed it. I sang. I sang a couple different parts on it. Um, but the impetus of that was like Daniel, Daniel Wickoff, cool. yeah, for putting it together. Yeah. And what are your what are your thoughts on on that on the sincerely record like as a whole? Like, how would you sort of capture where you were at in your life when you made it, and like, what does it sort of represent for you? Yeah, sincerely was me trying to make sense of. An existential crisis, pretty much. That whole album. What inspired the existential crisis? Uh, a series of events. It started with me getting really close to my friend Carlos Reyes, who ended up shooting all my video content for that whole cycle. We we pretty much came to LA at the same time, and he was like the visual eye for my project and my best friend. We went to college together. But as we got closer, he was someone that showed me the reality of the world. Like Up until that point, I was very naive and very innocent and very sheltered. And I got to see the world through his eyes and it was scary because it disagreed with a lot of the beliefs that I held about the world. So that was happening. You mean like, like less, almost like privileged or? A little less privileged. I mean, but I mean also realizing like, you know, uh, the corruption in the world, realizing the disparity and the lack of equality and how many people are living in poverty, understanding the world a little bit more. That was like the first part of it. The second part of it was smoking more weed and having some <laughs> like freakouts when you're stoned, you know, just being like, wait, what's real? Or wait, is there a God? Or, you know, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think sure. I, at that point, I had just sort of blindly accepted that there was a giant wizard in the sky watching over us all. And I was special in love and everything was going to be okay. I never put that well, into question. that's Virginia a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think so. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, for sure. The real impetus to this all was, I think I've used the word impetus now like six times. I love that word. The word of the day. <laughs> it's a good word. It's a great word. What propelled that album was specifically a one really, really fucked up acid trip. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just absolute hell. Absolute hell. Um, that inspired our first single. So Yeah. I mean, it was like a, a shattering of my entire belief system, my entire sense of self. Was it your first trip? No, it was my third, actually. My first one was amazing, which is why I did it again. Yeah. My yeah. second one was amazing, which is why I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then my third one was amazing. And the weirdest part was like, I was done tripping. Like I had this beautiful, it was Halloween. I had just moved to LA. Um, I took the acid in, a, in, a, in an apartment with 
two, two of my friends, two of my very brand new friends. And I ended up just walking around LA on Hollywood in, in like Hollywood, just seeing wow. everybody in their costumes. And it was so fun. I was just wow. walking around like on cloud nine and I got back to the apartment. The trip was coming down. I remember looking in the mirror and staring at myself and being like, I wanted more out of this. Like I'm ready for more, like show me more. I was like, I know that there's more to this. And then I was lying in my friend's room and I was, they were smoking a joint and I started smoking this joint and I hit it a couple times. I was coughing. Someone told a joke, a really funny joke. And I started laughing really, really hard. And then all of a sudden it was like being struck by a thunderbolt, dude. Like just, I was just beamed with this like insane, like sensation, like almost orgasmic, but so intense that it was uncomfortable. And then began this whole weird unfolding of events that is just beyond my understanding and it scared me and like internally or externally uh internally nothing external was i mean for everybody else you were just sort of sitting on the couch like looking up at the well no i was i was freaking out they they knew i was freaking out they definitely Mm. knew i was freaking out but it was um it was like a really important moment because i witnessed the power of our imaginations and how we can project our emotions into reality and we can see the world through any lens we want and for me during that it was like I was seeing the world through paranoia and fear Mm. and Mm. that which I didn't understand was evil it wasn't just I couldn't just accept it as I don't understand this it scared me and I couldn't let go and that was what you were experiencing while like in that 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 was what I was experiencing during that trip yeah and then I and then but I like specifically a couple things happened that that were so bizarre and seemed so real that when the trip mm. ended, I was like, I no longer saw things that way. But I was like, maybe that's how it really is. And this is all just a lie. And I'm like cursed. And this is like, mm. life is a life is a horrible nightmare. And That's what I always found so interesting <laughs> about acid. Like people often say like they don't, like the, the big argument for not taking it is often like, I, I don't want to lose control. I'm like, I don't know how to tell you. You're almost like more in control than you've ever been. But that's the scary part. Like that you suddenly like <laughs> understand like you understand, you're able to kind of like peel back the layers a little bit more and you have uh-huh. a language for actually being able to talk about really abstract things. Like I remember my first trip, any question that I couldn't answer, anything that was too big to kind of understand, mm-hmm. I would just call it the big thing. Like it wasn't God or it wasn't spirituality like or whatever. Right. It was just like, it was almost telling myself like don't get tripped up on those big questions because you're going to go in circles. You're going to like go down rabbit holes and you are needed like the, what's you're important to the people around you and you're needed to be there with them. And I uh-huh, think that, that was cool. like, but yeah, oftentimes, like I feel like when you, like when you're done with the trip and you look back on it, like you obviously don't feel the same way that you do, but you remember, oh, like there was a different way I could have looked at everything. Like when, when we tripped together, we passed a tree that we pass every day mm. outside like our house. And it and, was like the most fucking beautiful tree in the world. Like you just wanted to look at it for for hours. But it was uh-huh. more what I loved about like how Noah like looked at it was that it was just that tree always was there, and it wasn't so much like oh look at this beautiful tree I'm tripping. It's like this tree has always been beautiful, and we don't look at it. Yeah, exactly. we're not we don't like take the time because mm-hmm. we filter so much stuff like in our kind of like everyday mm-hmm. life. So I definitely understand like the existential. Yeah. Well, so what happened to me was that the trip was so overwhelming and un- and unbearable and scary that. When it ended, I had to totally rebuild my relationship with my thinking mind because my thinking mind was wow. was the part of me that was projecting this these horrible parts of reality and making all these fucked up connections. You know, like our minds are so creative, dude. It can take yeah, it can take ten things that are unrelated, and mm. if you give it its full power, it can it can make it can connect things in in any way that you want. Thankfully, I had a meditation practice. Um, and I had been meditating for a while, so I understood like how to step step back and how to and the relationship between awareness and thinking. And my meditation process incredibly deepened through this experience because it was like the only you had to it rely was, on it. It now. was the only yeah. way out. Yeah, it was like my only relief from from it. Yeah, so began the process of a lot of meditating and coming and making sense of things, and then creating this album and expressing. And finding answers and coming to terms with things through through making this music. I, I mean, that's and I, I think the record's reflective of that. I like the title too, sincerely, because it is coming from that real kind of raw place. But it's also like, you know, kind of the the end of the letter. Like, here's my thoughts. 
sincerely. Exactly. Know, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is this is, you know, it's coming from the heart, um, mm-hmm. but also like contain the thing. And n- not to, to sort of harp on some of the, the life changing kind of lows, but you did mention you had Lyme disease and mm. that was somewhat somewhat recent. Sort of. It's, it's becoming less and less recent. Summer of 2016 was when the symptoms started getting really bad. And then by the end of that year, I was back home seeing a doctor recovering. Do you have a hunch as to like, you know, where the, the bug literally came from? Yeah. I mean, no. The doctor seemed to think that I was bit when I was like way younger and that oh, wow. it was dormant. But the medical wow. community doesn't acknowledge that as being a possibility. <laughs> Which is why this whole thing was like a massive mindfuck. It's possible that when I was on tour earlier that year on the in the East Coast, I could have gotten bit and gotten Mm. it Um, because it's all Um, over that that part of the world. Have you made kind of a full recovery, or do you still find? I mean, I've made a full recovery. I feel incredibly healthy. I'm active. I sleep great. I don't have any of the symptoms that I did have. Obviously, going through an experience like that changes a lot. So. Before getting Lyme and after getting Lyme, it was hard to like be, I was healthy, but I couldn't be like, I'm back to how I was. Because every, mm. I mean, it was a, I'm a changed person. Right. Um, there's really no way to know, man. I, I don't, what, what, I don't notice, I don't feel any. When it started to hit you, going to be something that was going to like kind of change what you had to do. Like you said you had to go home. Like at what point did it like hit that, oh, this is like a thing and this is going to, and, and how did, how did that kind of like affect yeah. your mental? I mean, the, the main, the, the first symptom I started feeling severely was like, Severely itchy skin. So mm. I was just, I remember being in Joshua Tree in the desert. My entire, everything's going as planned. Like music's going really well. I'm about to play festivals. I'm only excited and everything external in my life is going well. But then I like can't sit with myself because I'm just so severely itchy and I can't sleep and I can't do anything. And it's just like I can't get away from it. So that was when I was like, all right, I need to do something. Because I just like wasn't sleeping. I was waking up every hour and having to take like a really cold shower to like numb my skin. Jeez. So I knew like by the end of that summer, I was like, all right, so I got to figure out what's going on. My parents actually came and visited and they saw how, how bad of shape I was in. And they, they helped me find a doctor. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're better now. Like, yeah. I'm glad, <laughs> like that's… Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, um, we got to take care of our, our bodies, are our temples, man. Hell yeah. The hardest part about getting sick with anything is accepting how little control you have over a situation, you know? Mm. And that was like a massive change in my life was having such a direct contact with, with a physical, tangible force that was out of my control. And like, yeah, it was some of it was in my control, you know, find a, find a good doctor, do what she tells you to do and try and stay positive. But in terms of getting better, it's like, there's no guarantee, and I I don't actually have control over this. It's patience. It's it's a weird patience. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird patience for sure. It's kind of what we're all in now, like globally, and we're just having to accept a like we're patience. just we're yeah. you, we can control some parts about this, but the vast majority of it we cannot. Yeah, we just have to make the most of what we're given. Well, I think when you experience like sickness or any sort of sudden traumatic accident or something like that, once you've accepted it and have made sense of of it. I think you you're a lot better you're a lot more better equipped for the unknown and being able to handle mm. not like the, the the concept that we're not guaranteed like a tomorrow like we just have to make the most out of every moment because like at any point I could just get bit by another tick and get Lyme disease and have to go through all that all again or at any point the sun could have a solar flare and we all die or like you know there's always the threat of total annihilation on mm-hmm. all of us always and like I think once you once you go through something like getting sick you realize that that's always there. And there's there's a power to accepting that, I think. I, I was terrified of ticks as a kid. And I, I went to, to camp at like a nature preserve where there were ticks. Every, like I would have to get ch- checked for ticks every day coming home from camp. Scary, um, dude. It was just, it was, you know, but that's the thing too, is at a certain point, and I was a hypochondriac as a kid too. Um, I think Osmosis Jones freaked me out. But I remember <laughs> oh at a gosh. certain point, you know, I know that was the thing is like, you know, the idea that like this microscopic thing could just kill you. Mm-hmm. And I think that at one point, maybe it was my dad or a friend or somebody was just like, listen, man, like everything's going to kill you. Like you either spend your whole time worrying about stuff mm-hmm. or you be smart, but like just kind of stay positive. You yeah. know, and just kind of like chalk it up to another big thing. Yeah, you know the. That's it, man. We could we could have like a sun flare, but like I'm not gonna. There's not gonna be a life worth losing if I'm waking up every day worrying about the sun. You know. Exactly, exactly, brother. That's 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 precisely the point. I mean, 
life isn't worth living if you're just going around holding on to everything, holding on for dear life, hoping that you get to keep, stay alive so that you get to live more of this grasped, controlled, desperate life. I'm with it. I, I really appreciate your like mentality on that stuff too. I feel like recently I've been just trying to like grasp on to some of the stuff that we're talking about today. And I think of, of everything, that's just a very good place to be in because it just, mm. it, it provides almost like a foundation where like anything can kind of grow off of it. You know, mm -hmm. like like you accept the good with the bad and you're not focusing on either too much, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I, I don't have a great segue for my next uh, next question, but um, I love your collaboration with Pell and also with Gray. How did you meet them and how did those two songs come to be? Uh, let's see. Pell was a random session that my manager set up. Pell's nuts. He's, He's so good. So good, man. So good. Super homie too. He, he showed up like three hours late. <laughs> <laughs> Then he showed up and it was Pell and I was like, all right, he's cool. And uh, we went into my studio. I had just gotten a drum set and I'm a drummer. So I was really excited I'm about sorry. that. And I was like, why don't I just start playing some drums? I'll, I'll record this. And like when I catch a groove that you're feeling, like, we'll know. And I started playing drums and I stumbled into this, this rhythm. It's like the drums for that song. And he was like moving to it. And then he kind of just starts like rapping. And I start <laughs> drumming and I, I chop it up. I put it in time. And then we start, I actually remember going and like playing some like super sad shit over it. And he's like, bro, it's Friday. Are you sad? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not actually. I'm really happy. He's like, let's write some happy shit. And uh, I went to the guitar and started playing those chords. They just kind of work with the first, my first instinct. And he loved it. And there was just a major vibe. We just were, we caught a rhythm and it happened. It just all happened that day pretty much. I love that. And that, I, f I feel like, you know, I, I, we've gotten that note before. Just like, are you guys good? Like, yeah. good <laughs> yeah. day. like don't. I, I feel like my fingers just tend to play sad stuff no matter what I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. and I have to like retrain my brain to be like, oh, you can make stuff that sounds less sad if you just try a little harder. <laughs> my, my mom calls sometimes. She's like, have you guys written a happy song yet? Have you guys done that? Like, you know, do you know how to? That's hilarious. Like, just, ch ch just checking in. Yeah, um, but also uh, like Gray's Chameleon record. What I love about that that record is that like there's Anthony Green on there, there was uh, Avril Lavigne on there. Yeah. Like yeah, it was crazy. it was like a, like an electronic but almost like pop punk record too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really like guitar driven like grungy kind of record. I love for, that EP, for, dude. For, yeah, it's really interesting. It's so cool. So how, how did you meet? Because we met you while you were hanging out with Kyle. Was there? Yeah. Um, like yeah, Kyle's and, like Kyle's like my my main guy. He's like my best friend. Oh, that's awesome. Or, or and so that, is that how you met Dwilly? Yeah, I met Dwilly through Kyle. Yeah, cool, exactly. Cool, cool, cool. How did uh, These Roots come to be? These Roots, yeah. Okay. They, they, um, well, I had met them. I had met them before I went to Joshua Tree. They, My managers, again, set up a session and they came over. And we pretty much just played Super Smash Bros. for like six hours. I don't think <laughs> who we do you even, main? Who do you main? Who do they main? That's uh, the well, we were playing N64, which is like oh, now. I mean, the, Kyle, Kyle is literally like top 20 in the world. For Super Smash in sixty four, and after living with him and my, and Michael's not too far behind him, and after living with both of them, I started getting really really good, and I went to some tournaments. I'm like top, maybe top fifty now, um, but oh, I haven't been, I haven't been playing in a while. Uh, but yeah, we 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 have an obsession with. Smash. Wait, you guys used to be roommates? Yeah, we lived together after this. So oh, cool. They came over. We just like caught. We were just on the same frequency. Really connected with them quickly. We hung out a couple times. I went to Joshua Tree. They came out to Joshua Tree towards the end and we started these roots out there. That's awesome. I was working on my second album. Yeah, I mean, we pretty much just played Smash and went on hikes, but we actually started that song as well. Yeah, and then I went home to get better and the song kind of just like was dead. We weren't going to do anything with it. I ended up like revoicing. I ended up like playing that piano part over it. Originally, it was written on a guitar and I like changed the key and then I sent it to them and then they like produced the drop, sent it to me. I, I produced the second verse, sent it to them. They spiced up the second verse, hmm. sent it to me. I started working. It was just like this amazing passing back and forth. And it was so cool to like, because at that point I had never gotten something from an another person and listened to it. That was something I was working on and got like so excited about it. I was just like, these guys are fucking good at what they do. And it's so, huh. it's so nice to be like collaborating with them. It's what we were talking about at the beginning put into motion. It's like just building hype. Like, you know, a song could die, but if you resurrect it and then keep that kind of hype mm -hmm. going for like, you know, new parts and more interesting parts. But also, yeah, what what always really inspired us about Grey was just that like, as sound designers, like in the traditional film sense, it was always cool how they brought in such interesting effects from yeah. like sound design libraries and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, it was a big, it was especially a big deal in like, um, like I, I miss you, um, uh -huh. uh, but then obviously the middle and everything like 
just having sounds that we weren't necessarily used to. So I miss what, you. That, Is that the one with Bahari? Yeah. yeah. That song's yeah. so fire, dude. That's a great song. So Sasha Sloan's song. Yeah, Sasha Sloan wrote it. Yeah. Oh, did she really? Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. She's an incredible songwriter, dude. She's an insane songwriter. But yeah, I really, really like the song. I was curious about how those collaborations came to be. We have a question. This is our first like Patreon question. Like yeah. uh, our one of our subscribers, Alan C, wanted to know about your headspace uh, around uh, Voyeur Girl mm. off your second record. Like where where you were at when you when you made that song. That's awesome. Yeah. So Voyeur Girl is specifically about one person. Uh, it was the girl that I was sort of dating at the time, and she probably is like a voyeur. She just really likes watching, watching people, people and watching things. And like one of our favorite things to do would be like sit somewhere in LA with like a tea or a coffee outside and just like watch people on the sidewalk and like stare at people and like imagine their <laughs> lives. And she loved watching me. She just like wanted to watch me do things. And at the same time, our our relationship felt very much like this game we were playing with each other. Like like it was an act. Like we were like took on mm. these personas and became these characters. And it was like this fantasy world that we lived in. Well, if you know you're being watched, it's hard not to like mm. take that into yeah, account. Yeah, yeah. It was like every time I was with her, I felt like I wanted to entertain her and lean into her sort of romanticism over life mm. and things. And it gave me a lot of power and it gave me a lot of confidence. There was a power in her eyes and in the way that she looked at me. Yeah, the song's just sort of about this this relationship I've had I had with her. I mean, there were some really divine things that happened, some really unexplainable things and feelings of connection. And well, hey, it's it's an awesome song, and I appreciate Alan C. If you're listening for uh, <laughs> for, for asking, yeah. you just released a single off of your upcoming record. Um, uh huh. What's the upcoming record called? The album's called Acrasia. Cool. cool yeah. Cool, cool. What's uh, I Never Stay in Love um, about for you? Like what what inspired that and what is this sort of? Because each it seems each project has sort of. Uh, encaptured mm-hmm. like a kind of uh, realization or part in your life. Is uh-huh. this record in a similar place, or is it uh, like what what kind yeah. of inspired the the whole project? Yeah, yeah. Well, the the whole album is is called Acrasia. Acrasia is is a word that means um, the state of mind in which we act against our better judgment through weakness of will. I know that's a, I know that's a lot, but I like concept. when one word can mean a lot, like yeah. a, like a yeah. lot of words. Is it it's Greek? Like, it sounds Greek. Yeah, I heard I heard Sam Harris say it at a. Mm. I went huh. to I went to go see him, and he was talking to a Tibetan monk, and they used that word. And essentially, what it is is like us giving into instant gratification. Mm. Us giving mm. into our primal, maybe not necessarily even primal, but like giving into our desires that we know maybe aren't the best for us. And we know that choice B is better in the long term, but we choose A over B because it feels good in the moment. And we, we can't necessarily abstract long term particularly well. Yeah. I mean, human beings were pretty bad at it, dude, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah as, as a species, it's not really our But we're good state. enough at it to have it be a conflict. That's, that's why I really like that word and that sentiment because it's kind of like fundamental to who we are as people that we like, even though we know better, we tend to make these choices. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. You guys, I mean, every time I talk about this, I learn more about it actually. So this is fun. The hmm. What you just said about like we're not really designed for long-term abstraction or being prudent, truly prudent. And it makes sense because like all of our survival instincts, all of our like primal primitive functions are sort of like moving towards warmth. It's like mating, hunting, eating. That's how we lived. We didn't have to like plan out too much. We didn't like have like a vision for where we were going to be in a year. It was just like, how can I survive today? And how can we survive for another week? Like that's how we're conditioned. And as we've grown and evolved, we now have the ability to abstract and to think and to plan and to, in a way, transcend our primal desires and our primal functions. I think the bridge between like primal mentality and modern mentality, that, but that still kind of twists the knife of not being able to think long term, is the fact that we as a species are, are capable of uh, experiencing boredom. I've always felt mm-hmm. that boredom is this thing that drives us to in the moment decide like what it is that we're doing uh-huh. and that any kind of long-term thinking that we have is oftentimes to kind of like offset a type of boredom. A type of boredom we have with, because the, with the current moment. Yeah. Once you get, and, and obviously being able to, to exist outside of survival is a privilege, but once you manage to get to a point where you are outside of survival, um, uh-huh. where you're not worrying necessarily about like 
warmth or shelter or food and all that stuff. The next thing is like you are in, you are fed and in your house and you're staring eternity, like you're staring the rest of your life down with mm-hmm. nothing to do. Now what? And I feel now like what? that's why right. oftentimes we make these decisions because to be bored in a moment is, and be bored in the moment is mm-hmm. a terrifying thing. We or, want or something to be you occupied, have to build. Right? Yeah, you have yeah. to build a relationship with. Well, boredom is an incredible power too to utilize. I mean, I find that if I'm lacking clarity and I feel scattered and I feel just like there's a million things pulling me in a million different directions, I just drive out to the desert and for two or three days, I totally detach and I dopamine fast and I mm. bore myself into clarity. Wow. And I think there's a lot of power in sitting with your boredom. And what happens when you allow yourself to be bored is what require, what the, the level of stimulation you need to not be bored just lowers and lowers and lowers and lowers to the point where now the mundane is fascinating. And just seeing a bird fly by or breathing or going on a walk are like, it's like having sex. It's like, yeah. it's, it's incredible. And that's like, that's part of the, that's part of what causes the crazy too, is that we're so, our brains are being hijacked from all these reward system things like social media and video games. And mm-hmm. there's just so, like the level of stimulation in our society is so high. That we crave it constantly. That we crave it. And there's nothing that really gives us that amount of instant gratification that's like natural. It's all technology that does it for us. And it wants wants something out of us too, which is always something that is both sinister, but also something I'm pretty complicit with. Like I know that like a video game's ability to keep me entertained, but also keep me needing to continue to be entertained is to separate me from my money eventually. But at the same time, like I am happy to give that money if it means not kind of like staring down, you know, an hour or whatever. You you don't have to suffer from acrasia. Yeah. Which is a word I just learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you're gonna um, lose everyone every time you use it because nobody knows what it means. <laughs> Although I'm, maybe I'm that's my it. job. I'm gonna spread the news. But uh but yeah. No, I, I really like your your uh, not to not to you know, ping pong a little bit, but no, I really like uh I never stay in love. I, I think it's a really, really cool single and I think it's it's using really interesting, really interesting sound design, but it, it's also expanding on your sound. It's like it's growing. It mm-hmm. feels it feels like like a maturation of of what you've been developing. Uh, how did that song kind of come to be? That song came about. It started one morning. I was doing sound design. Actually, I was like, I had just gotten back from Thailand. I had just moved into this house. I think I was here maybe for two weeks writing songs, and I was like, I need to make some more sounds because like, I just need more inspiration to pull from. So I was fucking around with an Ableton synth called Wavetable. And I was um, doing what I always do, which is like running really low harmonic, like sine wave kind of stuff into distortions and just seeing how how things react and fucking around with filters and things. And that main synth part that comes in after the piano was like the sound I was making. And in the process of designing it, I wasn't even thinking, I was just like playing notes. And I was pretty much more or less playing the the part in the song. And I had the doors open and the birds were singing and I was like... I'm just going to lay this down. Let's see what happens. And I laid it down and I did a little bit more sound design with that in there. And I started using those sounds. And pretty soon I had like that whole build up section going into the drop. Hmm. And then I started laying down drums. And I remember singing the bass line. And I was like, what if I play that on bass? And then so came the instrumental. I think I did most. That full arrangement was pretty much done in like 24 hours with like most of the melodies too. I like how you bring in sort of what's around you into your songs too. I like, you know, Crossfire opens with like somebody crying. Like I think it's really mm-hmm. cool. Like the way that there is a level of organic or almost like yeah. a time capsule vibe. It's like taking what's in the moment. Yeah, well, here's, the, here's what I'm noticing about music and anybody who is witnessing or experiencing an art. The job of the artist is to try and pull the, the listener into what you were feeling like and pull them into that space like I mean that's what when we feel a connection to any art it's because we can personally relate to it and we can understand what they were feeling and and so I think like recording things in the room and you're just you're just helping somebody understand what 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 was like the moment like where this idea came about Mm -hmm. how can I get more and more inside your head so I can understand understand this and connect with it we're we're professional time travelers yeah I mean you know we have to we have to Exist in that time, and then bring people back with us. Um, yeah. No, it's and it's it's great. I'm looking forward to uh, to to your record. You ready for the question round? Hit me. 
All right. First question is, what is your phone background? It's a shot of me at Coachella lying next to this girl that I fell in love with for a day. We're both tripping on mushrooms, pretending <laughs> to, pretending to be riding a bicycle up into the moon. Wow, that's fun. That's all. That's, a, that's <laughs> <laughs> you're a Coachella lover. I love that. Do you have any non-musical hobbies? I guess other than hiking and rock climbing. I mean, meditation. It's got to be like the biggest hobby. Yeah. Video games, I love rock climbing. Anything competitive. Were you, are you like a like? Do you play soccer and like? That, I did. That stuff I played soccer the... my whole life. Yeah. Nice. Um, I haven't played in forever though, dude. Uh, are there any skills that you would like to have? Um, yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big vibe. Yeah. Uh, I do really wish I could draw. That'd be sick. Mm. Oh, same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not where my the skill points were allocated on my character. I just like my my actual handwriting is terrible. My like freehand drawing ability. Is I wish I had one visual ability, but no, it doesn't. Do you think it works like count. that? Do we have like a certain amount of points we allocate, and like as you start to learn one thing, you just forget something else? Maybe. I mean, there's something to be said about like thermodynamics and entropy and opportunity cost. Like anytime you spend doing something, you, it's time you're not spending doing something else. But like some yeah. people are like really genuinely good at so many things. Well, really, like, yeah. What bothers me is like I am a really quick learner and if I just put a little bit more energy into things I could probably know a lot more if I just spent the time but like I just don't there's so many things I could spend an hour a day learning and I just don't and I don't know why it's a crazy you know yeah well, it's like why not I, I, I think I think though you know there's something to be said about like when you're a kid like the plasticity of your brain yeah, um, yeah like yeah. how you're I know spongy. there are plenty of kids who just like learned how to draw and learned how to do all these things young so that those were skills that kind of stayed and that's why I'm glad we did music young and like yeah I, you know I, I definitely wrote a lot like poetry and stuff when I was young so I feel comfortable in that space even just like answer I answered the phone when I was four and just like being able to build that skill set yeah. from a young age or whatever but yeah I never really drew and so now to actually learn it's much more of an uphill battle and it's like getting not just like your brain learning like to remember stuff but even just getting your hand to be still and uh-huh. you know and, and get all that stuff down so mm-hmm. I think it comes down to again those decisions that were made by you know some third party when you were four years old yeah <laughs> All right. Most important question of the of the question round: Would you be a pirate? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I kind of already am a pirate, so there we go. There's something to be said for that. <laughs> you definitely got the look down. You got the beard and the long hair. <laughs> you just like a parrot and an eye patch, and you're set. And uh, I need to give someone my leg. <laughs> I think I think when we when we met in Morocco and we were like comparing like hair lengths because my hair was a lot longer. We would be we'd be a good pirate duo, my man. I think we'd be a great <laughs> pirate duo. What I'd be like our- the, I could be like the the gregarious pirate who's like the good cop, and you could be like the really evil like fucked up like cynical <laughs> one. I, don't I, know. I, I, I feel like we would like play it off, like play off of each other. Like I think right. we would try to convince the other one that the other one was like the evil one. So we pl- both play like nice pirate, bad pirate, and just like, I like you know, it. at the end of the day, we just got to keep our ship in line, you know? Right. No, and I, <laughs> and I think we're we're dedicated to um, economic equality. So we yeah. steal from the rich. We, <laughs> no, to we the steal from. Yeah. We're like Robin Hoods. Okay. Yeah, yeah I like I'm, that. I'm with it. What would our ship be called? The Acrasia Lion. The Acrasia. <laughs> the Acrasia Lion. That's Sound, our ship. Sounds like, like a German tavern. Yeah. Or yeah. Like a, a European like dive bar. Uh, do you have any tattoos? I've got two. Very insignificant. I have the date that I moved to Los Angeles on my arm. I love that. It's like a commitment date to dropping out of school. And the guy who brought me out of here has the same date. It was the day we met. Oh, nice. uh, and then I have an 11 on my hand, which I got in Brazil with my friend Evie. And she, her and I both have a, a strong connection to the number 11. It's a symbol uh, for us. That means a lot of different things. So cool. That's I only have group, I only have tattoos that I've gotten with other people like matching <laughs> tattoos. It's mm. pretty cute. Well, I like that they're numbers with, or like with significance. I, I've said on the podcast around this question too, that I, I would have a hard time with like pictures because I feel like for pictures, I'm always, you know, I, I just don't have a grasp on like, like quality in that sense. Right. But like, like numbers that have significance. It's pretty you know, timeless. Either to people or places that yeah. feels pretty timeless for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. There's an objectivity to it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what was your first? What was the first concert you ever attended? Oh gosh, what was the first concert I ever attended? How can I not even? Why don't I know this? In lieu of that question, uh, <laughs> I have uh, that guy Sam. Uh, the he goes by out there. He wanted to know if you had an all-time favorite song or what you're listening to right now that you're really into. All-time, all-time favorite. Uh, Oh, well, I don't have an all-time favorite. There's no way. 
I liked way too much music. Um, That's an impossible question, though. I, I I don't know. I feel like I always go back to Ain't It Fun dude, by Paramore. I just discovered this Paramore Sussex. I just discovered this um, artist yesterday, but his name's Boy Life. Uh, he's got two songs out. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got the song Peas. Yeah, dude. it came up on my Discover. It's sick. Bro. His, his stuff's really interesting. He's, he's part of a band. Uh, I wonder what the band's called, dude. This shit's insane. I mean, both of these songs, Pe- Peas and Bummy. Are, yeah. are masterpieces. I want to know how much time he spent on these. I want to know. I, I gotta check it. It sounds. It's dude. Like, yeah, it yeah, just really familiar. interesting indie stuff. It's it's indie. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's embracing so many current modern things that's happening in music, and he's putting them together so seamlessly. And uh, the dude is just dripping with, with yeah, really talented. Talented. Do you know vision. where he's based out of? He's in LA. I have no idea. I haven't asked him. Well, hey, I'm, we're we're rooting for you guys to to collab. I don't see the thing is is when I discover something like that, I like I don't even want to collab with them because I don't want to like I don't want to taint it. I just I just want to admire from afar. <laughs> I feel that way about the songwriting. There are plenty of people where I'm just like you don't like I, as much as I would love to like be a part of whatever it is you're doing. I don't think I can add anything. Like you've got a great thing. I going. can't. There's literally nothing I can add to this. I I mean maybe if we meet and we're and we become homies and one day it happens, that's cool. But like man. Plus, Good it's comment. nice being a fan in this stuff. Like, yeah. I feel like you know, I think that's yeah. something we need. We've, we, you know, we've been lucky enough to become friends with people, and lucky enough to like also have a musical education to be able to analyze songs yeah. and sort of pick stuff apart. But to be able to just like sit and enjoy something, oh, man. and not feel the need to be a part of it, is really like a, a blessing at this what, point. What the curse that we all have is the competitive side of ourselves, and when we hear yeah. something that's so good that we fucking love it, but we're also angry that like we're like, damn. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I make that? Or like, damn, this makes my shit feel so like short or whatever. So it's it's a difficult conundrum and and like it's interesting to see how you handle those feelings when you when you hear music. Sometimes you hear music that's really good, but it's so different than your music. You're like, oh, that's fine. Like it's just we're not yeah. in the same, we're not doing the same thing. But when I listen to Boy Life, I'm secretly like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you hear those songs and you're just like, wait, this is what I feel. This is this captures a feeling that I've been trying to capture in music in like a different way and like a better way. And it just makes you angry. Right, right. No, but more than anything, it's insanely inspiring. And yeah. um, it's it's nice to have full songs too. Like not just little parts of songs, but like full songs that you're like, wow, like I look up to this, you know? Yeah. No, it's important. We I think I think that's something we need as creatives, like stuff mm-hmm. to look to and mm-hmm. keep inspired so we're not jaded constantly by the stream of 40,000 songs that are added to Spotify every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, being jaded is the fastest route to crushing your creative energy. Yeah, it's very true. What Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Uh, dude, I actually have very little experience with karaoke, so not really. I mean, I probably sang some Red Hot Chili Pepper song or something. Ooh. Ooh. That's good karaoke music. What <laughs> Red Hot Chili Pepper song? Under the Bridge or something, or like maybe Ooh. one of their like more funkier things. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I would like kind of go off on like a like so much I or something like that. Yeah, like for something sure. Off, something off Stadium Arcadium. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah, more, yeah. Like crazy. A little more upbeat for sure. Yeah, that'd be sick. Like some of the rapping stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite movie, book, and TV show? Uh, two movies I just saw semi-recently. Uh, Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Incredible film. I also just watched uh, Mulholland Drive, which is David David Lynch movie. David Lynch, oh, like, yeah. I think I watched it twice now. I watched it two nights in a row because it's insane. Every time I watch that movie, I'm just like so inspired. I had a big David Lynch kick in, in college. Dude, the a, man is is insane. Is insane. Crazy. Book, I would say... I was just reading Island by Aldo Huxley. That book's really good. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, I think he's more known for his other novel, which is more dystopian. This is like his depiction of a utopia Hmm. and how the the Western world sort of interferes with it and tries to manipulate and take advantage of it. The other book that changed my life recently, do you guys know Eckhart Tolle? Mm, I don't think so. He's, oh, no. he's, like a, he's like a meditator guy. He he has this book. I think it's called Stillness Speaks. It's a very short book. The font is like twice as big as a regular book, which I love. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, the dude the dude just gets it. And it's his message is so simple. And yeah, I love that book. TV show. I'm really enjoying Dave right now. Oh, the, the yeah, yeah. We, show. we just finished that. We so fun. Cruised through it so good, man. It. So good. Some episodes are definitely better than others. Like I think there definitely. were like one or two episodes that were like a little bland for me, but the ones that hit hit so good, dude. The, like yeah. he nails it, man. Um, I also really enjoyed Ozark and Devs, which is about determinism oh, yeah. and all that stuff we were talking about. Uh, next question is: Do you have a scar with a story? I have a little nick on the top of my head when I was. In sixth grade, 
I ran into a symbol at my friend's house, like a symbol on a drum set, <laughs> and was like bleeding ferociously. Uh, As opposed to a symbol like a like a, a fork in the road or a <laughs> yeah 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 exactly a stop like, sign. like a like a ride symbol, yeah. and uh, I swear I think it's like Spider Man. Like I think I got injected with the <laughs> with the drum spirit after that because like the next day I started playing drums and I was like instantly really good at it. It was really weird. Damn. Your origin really, story. That's great. And I've got a little burn on my hand. I burnt. I like touched the the hot neon thing in, in an oven once. Oh. Back of my hands. We all do. We all do that once. That's uh, how we learn. That's evolution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next question is: What are three thoughts you have at this moment? I can't wait to drink some more caffeine. Um, <laughs> really, I'm really excited about this video I just finished up, which is a live performance of "I Never Stay in Love," and. Uh, I really want to go on a walk. Mm. It's, a, <laughs> but, it's a nice day out. It was really hot in the morning, but it's like cooled down a little bit. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's been hot. It's pretty hot in here right now. But I've just been loving walking lately. I've been looking forward to it so much. It's so clear and quiet, and everyone's like inside, and it's, mm. it's nice. I've been I've been biking for the same reason. That's cool. I should get a bike. Damn, biking sounds so much fun. Uh, next question is: What are you most proud of? I took this class in college. It was like a basic electrical engineering class. And everybody fails it their first time taking it. And I sat in the front row every fucking day at like hmm. 9 a.m. and paid attention to every single word the teacher said. I didn't give a shit about electronics. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to like get an A. I just wanted to pass. And I ended up getting an A. And it was like one of my, Damn. I was just like, yes, like I can do anything. <laughs> Put your mind to it. That's I love awesome. That. I feel like that sets the stage for everything else. It's like, you know, if you, if you throw in the work, like it actually comes back to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what's important to you? Realness and uh, being a real person and having real connections. I feel that just from this conversation. I, I yeah, think definitely. I really appreciate that you've been real with us and you've been open with us. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. And lastly, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to today, honestly. I look, I'm look. i looking forward to all of the things that, gets, that I get to do. I'm looking forward to my music coming back out into the world and re-engaging hmm. with, with my audience and creating something really special and meaningful for people. And I'm looking forward to continuing to like liberate myself from my own walls and my own chains and being more and more honest and more open and more expressive and risk-taking with my art. That's, That's awesome. Well, hey, Stephen, we're we're like we're really looking forward to your record. I, I think the act of listening to it won't be a crazy. I feel like there will be long-term benefits from yeah. from from, from listening. <laughs> That's I, an insight. That's I, the hope. I, and just like, you know, hearing where your head's at with it too is just is really really cool and really inspiring for us. So, yeah. thank you again for for being on here, man, and good luck with everything. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Good luck to you too. We would like to thank Alan C. for supporting Talking Lion on Patreon and Isotope.